Shelly was driving about a week ago, and Lucas, our three-year-old, was in the back seat, and they were, uh, I think, swinging by the church, and, and our three-year-old proclaimed, I love Connection Point Church. It's such an exciting place. <laughs> How awesome. Our three-year-old knows this is an exciting place to be. I'm telling you, thank you, Pastor Jim. It really did my heart good this morning to walk in and see our Connect Group Fair being set up out there. Uh, it's exciting for me as we journey with Jesus that, that we can do that with brothers and sisters in the faith. And we need to do that not always, you know, our, our default is to gravitate toward people of whom we're like, but you know, we miss out on things when we do that. We need others around us, others that are not like us, those that are older than us, younger than us. We need a variety of people to really journey with Jesus well. So I encourage you this morning, and I'm going to encourage you as we end, as you leave from this place, don't miss your opportunity to jump into a connect group so that you can grow in your faith as you do so shoulder to shoulder with others. Well, in the spring of 2006, if you're new, uh, some of this will be new information. Some of you will have heard some of this story, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page as we dive into the series this morning. Shelly and I we resigned our teaching jobs near Chicago, we sold our house and furnishings, and a year later, we crossed the Atlantic Ocean with Nate, who was one at the time, our oldest, to lead an international school in Khartoum, Sudan. When we landed at 7 o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve, it was still 95 degrees. The bad news was, the country was experiencing a cool spell. That doesn't bode well for my Chicago blood. And the next day after we opened a few Christmas presents, we drove around to see the landscape, and we kept the windows in the car rolled up so as not to let the heat in. That was new for me. The heat in Sudan is often compared to the exhaust from a jet engine. You ever walk by a jet engine, you feel the exhaust, that heat? That's like Sudan every day. As we drove, there was little to see, except brown sand, brown houses, why would you choose brown as the color of paint for your house when that's all you see? I will never understand that. Well, that was the case. And brown air that filled the dust. A few black rocks and colorful plastic bags stuck to thorn bushes was the only color dotting the landscape. In fact, the guy I worked with in Sudan, he said that those plastic bags were the country's national flower. <laughs> well, that was good. And we later walked the neighborhood streets to the smell of garbage and open-air toilets Chaotic, unpaved roads became our uncharted course. Khartoum was an interesting place indeed. The Spirit had led us to a wilderness experience, full of excitement, and that's the best part. We're like, we're so excited, we didn't know we had entered a wilderness experience. But God wanted to do some work in our lives there. And I would imagine if I had opportunity to sit next to each one in this room this morning, many here, if not most, have probably walked through wilderness experiences in your life. You don't have to go to Sudan to experience the wilderness. You can do it right from where you're at. A spiritual wilderness can take many different shapes. Travel could be included. Maybe a short-term overseas opportunity. We had some go to the Dominican Republic earlier this year. It could be a spiritual retreat alone with God. That's a positive thing. Or maybe an occupational relocation. When you relocate, those transitional times are oftentimes wilderness times. The experience may involve difficult circumstances, like the loss of a loved one, a difficult work environment, tension among close relatives or family members enduring trials. A wilderness moment comes in many forms, but here's what's important. 
God will meet you there. He desires to remove what should not remain and transform us into his image. That's the purpose of the wilderness. So what we're going to find as we look at wilderness experiences this morning is this one thing, that you can be used greatly by God by embracing wilderness experiences. So we're kicking off a new series this morning based on a book I wrote a year ago called The Resistance, The Church and Its Mission. The title comes from C.S. Lewis, a quote that I really appreciate. He says, we may never this side of life drive the invader out of our territory, but we must be in the resistance. This is our mandate as the church, to daily storm the gates of hell, and we're going to spend the next couple of months talking about how we do that. I'll let you know ahead of time, we don't do it with bombs and bullets. These are the weapons of this world's warfare. We do it as the church with truth, with love, and authentic faith. As we were getting involved in church planning in Jerusalem and began to establish the church there, I was challenged by a work colleague to examine the words of Jesus to see what he expects of his church. You see, we often look at the writings of Paul. We look at what he says for the qualifications of a deacon. We look at what elements should be in a service, singing songs and prayer and and looking at the word. We look at what he has to say about the body of Christ and how we are to function together. But what I was challenged to do is look at what Jesus has to say about the church. And as I began to research and discover what Jesus had to say about the church, I was fascinated by it. And so I thought, you know, it would make a good book. So I'm going to put it in book form so we can get it out to the American church. And it's actually gone to a lot of American churches who have studied it. I've loved to hear the feedback from it. In the late 1990s, the toy company Lego was in decline. I mentioned this back in September when I was here, so I'm going to see and check your memories. And they decided to partner with popular stories like Star Wars and Harry Potter to generate new interests. And although those partnerships were successful, a lot of the other things that they tried, it didn't work. They had even tried to branch out into a television show. But the results were continued decline. And by 2003, they were still losing money, so they decided to go back to the brick. That was their strategy. This changed everything. By going back to the brick and limiting innovation, profits climbed and the company stabilized. Instead of Lego now seeking partnerships, people wanted to partner with Lego, and they began to see royalties come in. Cash flow trends reversed by going back to the brick and staying true to their original mission. Well, I submit the church needs to go back to the brick. We sang about him this morning, our our cornerstone, Jesus. A longing, a desperation for nothing but Jesus. Jesus, we don't take anything from and we don't add anything to. Dr. Billy Graham, what a man of God. He had returned from preaching in the Soviet Union and was being criticized by a liberal churchman for the simplicity of his message. The churchman argued, Dr. Graham has set the church back 50 years. Dr. Graham, hearing the criticism, he quietly retorted, I wish I could have set the church back 2,000 years. The standard for our faith that lies in the past, not necessarily in the early church or even in the first century, but in Jesus himself and his lordship, and his calls and his commands as they're laid out in the gospel. So the question is, how do we go back to Jesus? 
Well, when you examine the Bible, you find out what Jesus expects of his church. And when you do so, you'll find that Matthew, that Jesus talks about the church in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, and also in the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. So this is the scriptural journey that we're going to be on this year. We're going to dive into those passages of scripture. Our journey this morning, it begins in the wilderness, on the island of Patmos, where the exiled Apostle John receives a visionary message from Jesus addressed to seven churches. So we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me there. And Tony, I invite you to come as well. He's going to read this passage with us this morning. I'd also like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We don't worship the Word, but we do want to honor it, revere it, to know that we don't take it for granted that God gave His Word to us. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, reading from verses 9 to 11. It gives us a setting for our story, our journey to discover what Jesus expects of his church. And most importantly to us, what Jesus expects of Connection Point. So Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patience and endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. first point I want to share with you this morning is this, that you can be used greatly by God by embracing wilderness experiences and persevering. The wilderness has an important setting in the Bible. If you've read the Bible, I'm sure you've noticed that. God appeared to Moses at the burning bush in the wilderness. God taught the children of Israel important lessons while traveling through the wilderness. Elijah encountered God and received instruction in the wilderness. John the Baptist ministered in the wilderness. And Jesus, after being baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And here's the thing. God was with all of them in the wilderness the entire time. Each of these wilderness encounters taught new truths or re-emphasized old ones and gave special revelations of God. There's a purpose behind the wilderness. In Sudan, for Shelley and I, God revealed himself in overwhelming ways. Through adverse conditions in an unfamiliar environment, Shelley and I found the value of spending an extravagant amount of time with Jesus, reading the Bible and in prayer and singing songs. And by doing this, our life as followers of Jesus shifted from a mind, what I knew of God, to my heart, to what I now experienced and knew to be true. At some point in your life, you have to make that transition. Intimacy with Jesus was experienced in profound ways as we engaged in his plan and spent time in his word. This is what you have to do. As we talked about the great rescue that we're all called to go, to baptize, and to teach, you have to be willing to go with God. And that doesn't mean you have to go to Africa. And everybody said? <laughs> I hope some of you go. I'll pray about that later. But you don't have to. What God intends for you to do is to live on mission for him in the life that you're at. 
So it means you go with God to your workplace. It means you go with God to your neighborhood. And as you do that and spend time in his word, God reveals himself in overwhelming ways. Luke 24, 32, it really became one of my favorite scriptures. Jesus is walking with the travelers on the Emmaus Road, and here's what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The travelers were right. When given the right opportunity, Jesus can captivate your heart in radical ways. By moving for Shelly and I from comfortable surroundings, you know, we like our comforts, but when you remove yourself from that, it's amazing what God can reveal to you. Our hearts began to burn within us, and Scripture really at that point in our lives became alive. The wilderness is important for spiritual health, renewal, and vision. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, here's what Luke tells us. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. Pay attention here. Something supernatural happens during wilderness experiences. God develops greatness within people during times of hardship. He just does. Well, the Apostle John, as we read in Revelation this morning, he had a unique wilderness-type experience in his old age. He became a prisoner banished to the island of Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian. Patmos, you'll see on the map where it's located, it's a small, rocky place, approximately 10 miles long and 4 miles wide in the Aegean Sea off the coast of modern-day Turkey. Romans used the desolate isle for political banishment, kind of like an Alcatraz. The countryside is similar to the Judean wilderness. It's an uninhabited pasture land. But what Domitian meant as a form of punishment became the location for a special revelation, a special encounter with Jesus, and a fresh vision for the church. You know, so often for us, we want to run from wilderness experiences, but I'm here to tell you, in first century Judaism, they ran to wilderness experiences, but for the purpose of getting a fresh word from God. And I really think this is what John was doing. I wonder when Domitian was handing out that sentence if, if John in briar-like rabbit fashion said, do whatever you want to me, but whatever you do, please, please, please don't send me to the wilderness. Did John seek an opportunity to enjoy God in the wilderness? We may pursue comfort and security, but when we want to retreat alone with God, oftentimes where we need to go is to the wilderness. The church that John was overseeing was actually a multi-site church of seven churches. It was meeting in and around Ephesus, Turkey. They're spread about 30 to 40 miles apart. Shelly and I, a couple of years ago, had opportunity to go and travel and see all these seven churches, the sites of these seven locations of churches. So John was leading this multi-site church as their senior leader. And so I do wonder, did he know firsthand the troubles that were ahead? Did he know what people would have to face? And if so, where would a dedicated believer want to go before such a troublesome situation? He would run to the wilderness like his Savior. He wanted a lonely place to hear from God. So whether by inspiration of the Spirit or by firsthand knowledge, John knew life was going to get much worse in Asia Minor. He needed an encounter with the Lord in the wilderness and a fresh word for the church for the upcoming days. 
Now, John, he does miss his church family. It's clear in the scripture we read this morning. He wants to be with them, but he also wants a fresh word to give them for the troubling days he knows that lie ahead. So he's banished to Patmos. And to run the race well, he must now persevere. He's been stripped of his home and all of his possessions. He's in exile in a rocky cave on a hill. He's suffering emotionally. He can't be with the church and the people that he loves, and he's worried about them. He can't use the spiritual gifts that God has given him to love the people that God has entrusted to him. He's all by himself. He's suffering in numerous ways. John calls it tribulation. You know, some believe that if you come to Jesus, that he'll take all of your problems away. He'll make your life heavenly while on earth. But it's not true. In Jesus, our life is not problem-free. But, there's always a but. But God, you read in the Bible all the time, I love but God. What I'm here to tell you is, your life can be tribulation-proof. That's why we spent time talking about living like it matters. Because whatever you endure, whatever tribulation, whatever opposition, suffering, or problem that comes to us, through our relationship with Jesus and his people in the church, both are vital. You can face whatever this life has to bring. With Jesus at the center and a body of believers by your side, there is nothing you cannot handle in this life. I'm convinced of it. That's why we talked about living like it matters, living like Jesus matters, because if he's at the center... And then we did life together, what it means to be in community. And with people by your side, there's nothing that you can't face. But so often we want to retreat. We want to isolate ourselves. And of course, the enemy would love you to do that because then he can pick you off on his own. But the reason we do connect groups is because we want you doing life together. We know that you are in greater company that way. The Spirit may lead you into the wilderness in order to give you further revelation into who he is. Your job is to persevere in the midst of the hardship, knowing God is developing character and developing a greater capacity for kingdom advancement in your life. There's value in the wilderness. With Jesus and his church, you can endure wilderness experiences. You can be used greatly by God by embracing wilderness experiences while keeping your eyes on Jesus. So here's the key. The key to enduring wilderness experiences is to keep your eyes on him. John writes, I'm going to combine two thoughts here within the first couple of verses in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I was on the island called Patmos. I was in the Spirit. Located on a lonely, desolate, barren, uninhabited island, John is unable to experience a community of believers. He's isolated in a place seldom visited by others. By this time, he's an old man, close to 100 years old, wandering a rocky, inhospitable place, yet he's in the Spirit. His pleasure was fellowship with God. His eyes were fixed on kingly, majestic Jesus. While in a posture of worship, Jesus shows up. This is a really important point. John is in a wilderness moment preparing himself to hear from God. He longs for a fresh word from the church, a special revelation. He does not wait to see Jesus before worshiping. He worships and then he sees him. If you're wondering where Jesus is and you're just waiting around for him to show up, 
Stop waiting and start worshiping. If you're desperate to see God active in your life, you need to start singing songs about him. You need to start praying and having conversations with him. You need to start with worship. Then you will experience Jesus. Your ability to persevere in times of hardship is directly related on how much you focus on King Jesus. Our endurance is in Jesus. Our patience is in Jesus. Our new perspective is in Jesus. Our new power to endure the hard seasons of life is all in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus and amongst God's people. You must discover how to live in two places at once. Living in a world of conflict, this is the world we live in, but we also live in the kingdom of God. Praying without ceasing, walking in the Spirit. You know, working with international schools in Sudan and East Jerusalem, Shelley and I had opportunity to work with some wonderful volunteer teachers. But working with these volunteers, it helped us to see the value of keeping your eyes on Jesus. What we found is those who read their Bible, they prayed, they regularly took time to sing songs and committed themselves to a local church, they were granted supernatural strength to persevere. But the volunteers who tried to do the assignment on their own, attempting to lose themselves in their work and refusing to face issues surfaced by God, this is what happens in the wilderness. All of a sudden, things bubble up. You find some true nature of who you are. God means for you to deal with it then. But they didn't last longer than three to six months. They experienced a wilderness without God. They only found hardship. Perseverance is with Jesus and his people. We are to persevere individually in Jesus, but we're also to persevere collectively as his body together. Jesus says we will face hardship along the way. He says in this life you will face trials, you will face trouble, you will face tribulation. It doesn't matter who we elect to government offices, how many wars we fight, how many dollars we spend, how many initiatives we back, until Jesus returns there will be trouble. So don't let it shock you, and that's why I bring it up. Instead, let it compel you to persevere, to hang in there, to run the race well. Should Jesus hold back his hand and not return, who do you want to be in 50, 60, or 70 years? John serves as an amazing example of one who persevered. 60, 70, 80 years by living in Jesus, by keeping his eyes fixed on him. Even though we had hard days, talking about Sudan, and, and talking about John, he may have faced hard days. One day what we want to hear, what one day when we face Jesus, all we all want to hear, I hope you do, well done, good and faithful servant. So are you keeping your eyes on Jesus, or are you dropping your gaze and focusing on the challenges around you? Have you been faithfully, daily, extravagantly abiding in him, spending time in his word, singing songs to him and talking about him, talking with him in prayer? If not, begin today. Tomorrow morning, wake up, dive back into the Word. What I know our human default is not to stay there. So maybe you abided well in January. Well, guess what? It's almost June. Time to get back after it. When Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, here's what he adds, the second part of that verse. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the overcomer. You can embrace wilderness experiences by fixing your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who provides vision and meaning for your life. 
The last point I'd like to share is that you can be used greatly by God by embracing wilderness experiences to receive fresh vision for your life. John was on Patmos, a lonely, desolate island. He took time on the Lord's Day to worship. The Lord's Day, when they talk about that, they're talking about Sunday. You see, in Judaism, of course, we know Sabbath, Shabbat, is Saturday. But what happened on Sunday? Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So the other church said, we're going to celebrate on Sunday. We're going to celebrate on Resurrection Day. So this is what John is doing. It's what we're doing here this morning. It's why we come together on Sunday morning, because it's a reminder that our Savior has been resurrected. Years earlier, John was called along with his brother James to walk with Jesus. He, along with Peter and James, experienced a transforming moment with the Lord. He sat next to Jesus during the Passover meal and witnessed the crucifixion. He raced with Peter to the empty tomb and was the first to recognize the risen Lord on the shores of Galilee. Now, near the end of his life, 70 years later, John sees the risen Lord once again. I wonder if John broke down and cried tears of joy at the sight of seeing Jesus again. John may have fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane during Jesus' time of trial, but Jesus... A faithful, loving friend showed up in John's wilderness. Jesus is present in difficult circumstances to give you fresh vision for your life. While in this cave on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day on Sunday, John receives a vision for the church. Continuing in Revelation chapter 1, picking up a bit where we left off in verse 12, here's what it says. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I would too. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Notice that Jesus doesn't show up and ask John how he's doing. Jesus already knows. Jesus instead, he shows up in all his glory. Do you know what we need in times of hardship? We don't need Jesus to show up and make it all about us. We need Jesus to show up and reveal who he is. Lord, King, Son of God, Savior, this is who we need, our resurrected Christ. Jesus shows up in all his glory, not as a humble, marginalized Galilean sage, he shows up displaying all of his glory and sovereign authority. John sees his best friend Jesus for who he is, a conquering, ruling, reigning king. You know, for some of us, our picture of Jesus is far too small. We see him during his incarnation, not his exaltation. We see him in Galilee, not in heaven. We see him in a manger, not on a throne. When you are walking through wilderness experiences, you need to see Jesus for who he really is. Life for the churches in Asia Minor was already difficult and about to get worse. They knew following Jesus would be costly. Did they wonder 
Where is he? The vision Jesus gives to John provides no details of life becoming easier, but actually lays out various challenges. We're going to see that in the months to come. Christ's followers were not going to be popular, and life would not be trouble-free. John saw Jesus in the chaos of his times in the midst of serious turmoil. Jesus was still identifying with his believers, but he is now arrayed with a golden sash across his chest and fire in his eyes. You keep reading Revelation, and you find God the Father on the throne, surrounded by thunder and lightning, living creatures continually crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. As these letters were read describing the majesty of Jesus, believers would be reminded of their source of love and devotion. A powerful vision of Jesus and God's throne keeps the church victorious in the midst of difficult times. But here's the thing. Not everyone who claims to know Christ has seen Jesus. Oswald Chambers explains it well. He says, being saved and seeing Jesus is not the same thing. Many are partakers of God's grace who have never seen Jesus. When once you have seen him, you can never be the same. Other things do not appeal as they used to. An encounter with Jesus in a wilderness moment changes everything. Life takes on new meaning. The temporary gets pushed aside for the eternal, and the divine vision challenges believers to new heights of glory. Have you embraced wilderness experiences, knowing they can bring fresh vision to your life? A test to know whether you've truly encountered Christ is whether or not this world still has a hold on you. If you're still concerned with gaining more, if you're not compelled to tell others about Jesus, if you find it difficult to give generously to others, then you are still living for this life. You have not yet embraced the wilderness and allowed Jesus to provide vision for the way you should live. Sudan was a difficult place for us, a wilderness experience for sure. It was the place of our glorious deconstruction. Learn that term. We spent four months camping in our house, sleeping on air mattresses, using a single knife, pot, and pan, with a borrowed table and chairs from friends. Hats off to my wife, Shelly, for agreeing to live that way. <laughs> our shipping container had not yet arrived, and, and daily we were living with intense heat. It's about 115 daily in Sudan, and trying to learn Arabic so we could buy food. I spent a day confined to a police station on account of a car accident. I shared that story before. I'm not going to retell it. Sometime later, we remained indoors for days while government troops battled from, with rebels from Darfur who had cascaded on the capital. On a trip to visit friends in a different country, Shelly and I were hoping for some time away, go visit some friends in a beautiful African country. It turned out we got to help them pack and leave because while we were there, their government toppled. It seemed like trouble followed us most of the places we were going. Upon returning to Sudan, the International Criminal Court had indicted the Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir for war crimes, causing more problems for foreigners in the capital. So one day, traveling home from downtown Khartoum, I drove past the Shell station, thought to myself, if they would simply drop the S from that sign, they'd have it about right. <laughs> Felt like we were living in the worst place known to man. But Jesus told his followers, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit refers to spiritual bankruptcy, meaning an impoverished from pride, self-assurance, and self-reliance. The kingdom of heaven is for those seeing themselves as dependent on God and pleading for his help. The poor in spirit are empty so that God can fill them up. The spirit leads people into the wilderness to be made empty 
and gloriously deconstructed. People come to a place of recognizing they need help. We all need to arrive at that place. Pride, self-assurance, and self-reliance surface and opportunities are given to address them. A wilderness environment takes people apart and more gloriously puts them back together in Christ. Only what is real survives the wilderness. The unreal dies in the desert. The wilderness is uncomfortable, and individual effort cannot alter it. God is encountered in the wilderness because fewer distractions allow him to reveal himself. The wilderness is a place that moves you into a passionate pursuit of him and his plan, a place providing fresh vision. Proverbs warns, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, without a godly vision, people do not live rightly. Fresh vision from God is important to experience life to the full. Sudan became the environment for God to reveal our absolute spiritual poverty and greater need of him. We had to be torn down, reconstructed, and made new in Christ. Growing up in church and being raised in godly homes was not enough to fully grasp our spiritual poverty and complete dependence on God. I'm going to say that again because a lot of you fall in this category. Growing up in church and being raised in godly homes is not enough to understand your spiritual poverty. The wilderness is essential to you experience fullness of life and to put your complete trust in Jesus. The Bible uses several metaphors to refer the need to be made new. It talks about the refiner's fire being reworked as clay. Deconstruction is necessary for a person to be fully reliant on God, becoming completely subject to him and confident in his plan. You know, safety and security, they're top priorities in our culture. People often shield their lives from uncomfortable settings. It's our default. Alicia Britt Sholey's book, Anonymous, here's what she writes. Our earthbound hearts prefer to consider how following God leads us into happiness or health or wealth. But this is not the kingdom way. Paul reminds us in Colossians, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. People naturally run from the wilderness. They don't run toward it. They shield themselves from the very thing God wants for them, coming to a fuller awareness of his nature and his wants. So I encourage you, embrace wilderness experiences and receive a fresh vision for your life. Wilderness moments are a part of spiritual development, a necessary part. In them, a person is challenged to keep their eyes on King Jesus and persevere. I'm going to close with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Here's what he says. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. The rending of the veil of your heart is an uncomfortable proposition. This is the work of the wilderness. So I ask, are you walking through difficult circumstances? Have you taken your eyes off Jesus? Are you in need of fresh vision for your life? Do you have a desire to see and truly experience the risen Jesus? You can start by making a commitment today to keep your eyes fixed on him in the midst of your wilderness. If you're currently facing a wilderness experience, what I'm going to do as we close and begin to sing is invite you to come and our prayer team would be willing to pray with you to encourage you to persevere to keep your eyes on Jesus and receive fresh vision for your life. So if you're on the prayer team this morning, I'm going to invite you to come because this is the way we're going to close today. The Spirit leads us to wilderness experiences so that we can be used greatly by God for his kingdom. 
What could God do through your life if you embraced wilderness experiences and allowed yourself to become gloriously deconstructed? How could God's kingdom be expanded in this world if you were willing to receive fresh vision for your life? I'm going to invite you to stand this morning because we're going to close in song. And it'll make it easier for you to step out of your seats and come forward if you're looking for prayer this morning. You're not meant to walk through the wilderness alone. You're just not. Yes, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's a part of what happens. But you're also meant to come alongside brothers and sisters alongside you. You should see as you look to your left and to your right on shoulder to shoulder, your brothers and sisters in the faith saying, you know what, we'll walk with you through the wilderness. Some have already journeyed through it and are saying, I have a good roadmap and can help you navigate where you're at. So we want to do that this morning. But I also am going to invite you for every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to experience who Jesus is. You, you have never put your eyes to Jesus because you've never made a decision to follow him. But Jesus has come to make your life new. God sent his son so that you can have life in him, life eternal with him. So if you're here today and you want to say, you know what, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but I want to commit my life to him so that I can walk through life. I don't have to do it alone. I can do it with him and brothers and sisters in Christ at my side. So if you're here today and want to say yes to Jesus, I just invite you to raise your hand that I might pray with you this morning before you go today. Anybody here today that would like to say yes to Jesus, I want to follow him with all of my heart, my soul, and my strength. you raise your hand, people in the back will help me see it. What I'm going to do as we close is if you're here today walking through wilderness experiences, maybe you face some hardships along the way, I just encourage you to come forward as we sing and that people might be able to pray with you and encourage you as you walk through the wilderness. Two things I want to encourage you in this morning on your way out. Don't walk through this life alone. You're not meant to. Easy to sign up for connect groups this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago almost, I preached a message on get connected. And some of you brought that card home. You signed it and committed yourselves as opportunity provides. I want to get connected. You have an opportunity this morning as you leave to get connected, to sign up to be a part of connect groups so that you can grow in your faith, that we may make a decision to follow Jesus by ourselves, but we grow in Christ together. So make sure to sign up for connect groups today. The other thing is you can pick up a book on the summer series we're doing and also for your connect group, The Resistance. All the proceeds go to Connection Point Missions because we want to continue to be a blessing to the world. That's really what this book is about. And you'll see that as we jump into this series. You can pick up a copy of the book on Main Street. They're $10. They take any form of payment. So it's easy for you today. Lord, I just ask as we leave from this place and as we are led to the wilderness by your spirit that we would embrace it, that we wouldn't run from it, but to know, Lord, you care deeply for us that you are with us in the wilderness and want to show us greater revelations of who you are. And God, I pray you do that this morning. I pray that you would impart supernatural wisdom to people as they embrace you, as they keep their eyes fixed on King Jesus and persevere in the faith. We pray, Lord, that you would restore relationships between husband and wife, between parent and child between grandparent and grandchild. God, I just pray a blessing over relationships in this church. And Lord, I pray as we leave from this place that we would be your hands and feet to the world. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Go with God this morning.